0: This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal and Fly Racing.
1: Another show of the Paddock Past podcast presented by Rental Street Grips. From comfort to durability to grip diameter options, Rental Streets have a grip for everyone. Uh, we're going to get a grip on the closing chapter of MotoGP. My name is Adam Wheeler. I'm joined by Neil Morrison and David Emmett. Steve English is somewhere on the other side of the world tucking into the last round of Superbike and um, discovering Lombok and the uh, half-built status of the racetrack that, well, MotoGP will visit in next year. But we're going to talk about Valencia, uh, the Motul round, round 18 of the series Uh, plenty going on Um, lots of hellos goodbyes and um, general japery and celebration yesterday guys Uh, let's let's tuck into our moments of the weekend Dave uh, what was it that kind of stood out for you
0: well, I mean, first of all, we have to say that Steve isn't uh, discovering anything except the inside of his hotel room because he's stuck there first, uh, stuck in a hotel room, quarantine for 24 hours. So, um, uh, uh, well, good luck, Steve. Um, the moment for me, I think, was the second Ducati lockout of the podium, uh, sorry, of the front row, which then led to the Ducati lockout of the podium. It was a, Valencia is not a Ducati track. Uh, and yet they just cleaned up um uh, even Joan Zarco was I think fifth in qualifying and fifth or sixth in the race um uh, the the ducati i mean this the, the ducati really is the best bike on the grid now and the the fact that they got that second uh, um, front row lockout it really showed that how far that that bike has come.
1: I think you can see in the post-race press conference between Peco Benaya and Jack Miller and Jorge Martín, not there, of course, because he was ill. But, you know, the the general feeling of cockiness and confidence from those two riders. And Miller said it best. He said around 2015, if you went into the class and you said you were riding a, a Ducati, then people would be, hmm, is that the best option to have? Clearly compared to a Yamaha, it wasn't. But now uh, it seems with eight bikes on the grid, everybody wants to get their hands on a Desmosedici. But Neil, um, for you, what was what kind of stood out from Valencia?
2: Uh, It was probably the goodbyes that we had yesterday. Um, I thought at points over the weekend there was a little danger that that might uh, uh, go on to uh, overdrive. Mm. Be a bit too much, uh, yes. There might be a bit too much of it, but um, I thought it was genuinely quite touching. Uh, speaking to some of the guys that were uh, departing, um, like Valentino Rossi and Danilo Petrucci, um, both were, were pretty honest and um, yeah. yeah, just give uh, really interesting, nice interviews and perspectives of their respective days. Um, and uh, yeah, I think you know two characters that have been great for the sport, obviously, and uh, are going to be missed because we don't really have. Um, a huge uh, bunch of uh, of characters like that, I think, in MotoGP at the moment. So I think their absence is going to be keenly felt next year.
0: Yeah, I, I particularly loved uh, Petrucci. I mean, he basically spent all afternoon crying. I think it was. Uh, <laughs> he's he, uh, yeah, he's a man with a just a huge, huge heart. Just a, a real, a real genuine human and. That was what, and self deprecating to the end, you know, he's just a fantastic person.
2: Yeah, the last normal one uh, in MotoGP, according to him. uh, He (laughs) said uh, the last one that isn't a phenomenon (laughs) or some kind of wizard on a bike. He said he was just a a fast rider, uh, yet. For uh, I think it was two days, uh, he could say that uh, he was the best rider in the yeah, world. You, you which is pretty cool.
0: You don't win at Mugello uh, in front of Mark Marcus and Andrea Dovizioso and be just another fast rider. I mean, you know that was he was uh, he was good enough. I think there was uh, a lot of people who were disagreeing with him. Um, uh, I think Jack in the yeah, press conference think, yeah. saying he's not just a he's, you know he's not just a normal rider. He's a fantastic rider. It's, uh, I
1: did an interview with him on uh, Thursday, uh, talking about Dakar actually, and it was like a 20-minute slot. And I asked him four questions. So uh, <laughs> he, uh, Daniela loves to talk. I mean, it's um, you know he will be missed, even just from a media perspective. You know he has an opinion on everything, and um, like you say, Dave, just a genuinely nice guy. So it's uh, no airs and graces. And um, we're recording this in um, the back garden of you know the Airbnb we've hired for the week and it's glorious sunshine which is you know the temperatures have been pretty mild that's kind of unusual for Valencia I mean we had a wet start to the Grand Prix but um I think it reached as high as 20 degrees for race day I, I wish we could you know bank on this kind of weather every year it would be a pleasant way to end the season and of course 75,000 fans at least um 76 76,000 and a bit there you go uh, I'm not too sure what percentage of those came in just for Valentino's farewell but it was uh it was a, a kind of return to normality wasn't it for MotoGP
2: it was a little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, and what was your moment of the weekend, Ed?
1: My moment of the weekend, uh, Neil, just coming round to that, actually, was, uh, you know, on a, on a fine stage for racing, was just the motor two tension we had. Uh, you know, it was... Um, a throwback to Danny Kent's championship win in Moto3, I think. Uh, there was a lot of questions around how far Remy Gardner would, was prepared to sink through the pack. You know, there was uh, when Nagashima was behind him, hounding him. Uh, I think it was he was only two places away from potentially throwing the championship uh, to the bin with uh, Ralph Fernandez doing exactly what he needed to do and getting a victory. So that was, um, you know, we had a fantastic Moto3 race, which we'll talk about in the pod- Paddock Pass podcast follow-up show. But Moto Two, I think, was the championship that was still to be decided, and it was a, a good contest.
0: Yeah, I mean, Remy looked so stiff on that bike, and I asked him afterwards, sort of, you know, look, you look really stiff. Were you nervous? He says, "Well, of course I'm stiff. I'm riding with broken ribs. What do you expect?"
2: With the correct amount of disdain in his voice. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <what I>
0: mean. <laughs> he'll go far. He has the correct amount of disdain for journalist questions. Yes.
2: <laughs> the the anti Danilo. Yeah.
1: Um, Davis talking to, um, you know your talk, your moment of the weekend was the Ducati front rowing qualifying um, there's I mean if there's a, a colour around MotoGP anyway and the corporate colour is red but now it's definitely Bologna red isn't it I mean the Desmos yeah. is, is almost the outstanding motorcycle whereas the Suzuki was the best fit for 2020 2021 has been about the Italian bike
0: yeah I mean I, to an extent you yeah. sort of think that this engine freeze because obviously when the pandemic hit one of the first things that they agreed on was to freeze engine development for 2021 which meant that uh, everyone was stuck with the engines which they started the 2020 season with Uh, and if you had a good engine then you were lucky and if you didn't then you were sort of unlucky um also going to make the development for next year interesting but certainly i think it may have oddly helped ducati because what are ducati good at innovation and finding new ways and fixing new things um finding basically finding uh ways to cheat without actually breaking the rules um they're they're just sort of so full of ideas and what what did they do they uh, they couldn't sort of look for more horsepower so they fixed the turning and you know the, the bike turns now the bike breaks it turns um uh, valencia is a court it, it, it's a track where you spend a lot of time on the edge of the tire so was very interesting he also said you know like everyone at valencia you use the tire so much that by the end of the race everyone's time's drop off uh, but the ducati seem to get faster um so really they they really seem to have fixed that bike and just the, the the sheer performance of it and also the riders i think uh, not only uh, uh mir uh, also the ducati riders themselves said you know it's a good package and by package they mean the bike is really really good but the riders are really good as well if you look at how much uh pekka has come on from last year uh, i think i was comparing times for between um Valencia 2 last year and Valencia this year and uh, Bagnaglia was 26 seconds faster um, conditions were slightly better uh, Joan Mir was 10 seconds faster between the two races but uh, for, for Bagnaglia to be 26 seconds faster and uh, Jack Miller was I think he was second last year in, uh, uh, and he was still s- nearly 7 seconds faster between the, b- between the two races 7 seconds faster and finishes, and finishes a, a, a place down finishes in 3rd it's a phenomenal amount
1: and you know the other riders quite rightfully were being questioned about the ducatis you now why are they so much better what do they have um Miguel olivera was saying in the braking and acceleration phases they're just so efficient and of course the bike turns better as well and he says when you add all those up then it makes them very hard to not only catch but also to pass And, you know, they have a good mix of riders with rookies. And Aya Bastianini, I think, you know, it was pipped to the Rookie of the Year by uh, Jorge Martin. Um, I mean, it depends how much stock you put on that award. But it it did show that, that, you know, decisions are everything in riders' careers, what bikes and what teams they get in at particular times. And if you're on a Ducati now, then you're looking looking happy.
0: Yeah, I I mean, it's a really good... Interesting mix as well between Bastianini and um, uh, and Martin because obviously Martin is put into the, the junior factory team in Pramac he's on a GP21. Uh, Bastianini is put into Avintia very much a uh, sort of the, the 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 redheaded stepchild of MotoGP um, on an old bike uh, and yet he still produced some phenomenal performances and you really sort of think you also think it might actually end up being a uh, being an advantage being. Bastianini on a much weaker bike because he's had to find more out of himself he's had to sort of find more out of it martin um is on the best bike on the grid uh and he's performing with the best bike on the grid so that that in itself is exceptional uh but having um being able to perform on a lesser bike means you're having to get more out of your riding uh, more uh, more out of the tires more out of everything uh, because you can't rely on the performance of your bike
1: Neil, the, um, the form of the Ducatis has been absolute, and that's why everybody's asking about them with a sort of preview towards next year. And it's curious to see different riders' reactions. Some are understandably concerned or worried. I mean, Brad Binder was typically kind of stoic and said, well, actually, with the KTM, we're quite close, just a couple of small changes, and we'll be much more competitive. But, uh, you know, it's, of course, one year to another, like Dave said, different ideas, technical innovations. It's, it's
2: far too early to say, right, well, 2022 is just going to be a red year. Yeah, it is, yeah, way too early. Um, but you would say it's it's quite ominous, um, especially if you're on an inline four-cylinder bike like the Suzuki or the Yamaha, and you're going to suffer from that uh, lack of top speed. Um, I think you would be quite fearful of the, the recent races. Tracks like Portimao, Valencia, historically have been pretty good for Yamaha, pretty good for the likes of Quartararo or Suzuki, yet um, neither of them had an answer for, for the Ducatis uh, in the past two weekends. I think their results were, were one thing, here they were, you know, all in the front row, all on the podium. Um, but I think Joanne Mayer's reaction and his kind of spiky form uh, after the race told you all you needed to know about how uh, phased he was by their dominance because I think Mayer uh, had a very good weekend, very stable, qualified well. Suzuki have made uh, good strides in that department, which we'll maybe come on to a little bit later. Um, and I think he fancied. A win he thought he probably could could go the distance and maybe challenge at the front maybe be leading at the front you know replicate his, his win from last year at that track but he didn't have an answer um in the second half of the race and just he seemed so down and low uh at how easily they rode away from him in the, those closing laps he said that in the past last year he could see quite a few weaknesses with that package he could see that Obviously, when you have a bit more power, uh, it is quite easy to use your tyres up a little bit more, and Suzuki were generally strong in the last part of the race of the last two years, uh, 2019 as well. But he said, yeah, as David mentioned earlier, uh, they just got faster as the race went on. Um, he didn't see any weaknesses. And there was a few moments in the early part of the race where you thought, right, is really well placed there. He got himself between Miller and Banyai, He was third. But just the ease with which... Uh, uh, the ease how they how they passed him on the on the straight out of the final term just it seemed like all those efforts were kind of futile in a way
1: is there a danger that Ducati are going to spread themselves too thin next year i mean having eight bikes on the grid isn't in one way an efficient leasing process i mean you're earning money from the you know giving you know teams uh your machinery kit bikes whatever um but then also i think you know um, paolo ciabatti was re- referring to this in the team manager's press conference on friday um he did say logistically it's going to be quite a task to supply and make sure all these riders are going to be competitive the last thing they also want is Desmosedici sedici's blowing up
2: and they're of course developing the bike for moto e for 2023 and from what we gather they haven't really um made a, a big start on that so that's going to be a project that needs to be completely developed and designed taking resources and invented uh, within uh just over a year so uh yes they might be stressing themselves thin but um i mean they've, they've run it bikes before
0: yeah I, I mean the the reason you do you do that is because of the amount of data you get together i was uh talking to a veteran dutch journalist hank kolomont about who knew jan Witteveen who used to run the whole aprilia program and uh uh, he was saying like Jan Vitavec would do the same. He'd just give lots of people a prillius because it meant you had lots of data. So if someone's having an off weekend, does mag it doesn't matter. You've still got good data, that, usable data that you can use to develop the bike and also just set the bike up properly. So having eight bikes on the grid can be a huge, a, a huge advantage and a, and a massive talent pool.
2: Yep, massive talent pool. Uh, great for gathering data, and also um, they are able to um, essentially just stack the grid with ridiculously fast bikes and and crowd out their rivals you know Quartararo has been the strongest Yamaha but he's been doing it alone Mir has been the strongest Suzuki and you know with the exception of Rins occasionally being there before he chucks it down the road he's alone I mean these guys are now up against four Ducatis in a race next year it could be five or six I mean that's a, a huge undertaking I mean you can maybe try and negate their weaknesses with say you're just fighting banyaya but if you're fighting banyaya and Martin and Miller it's uh yeah. you could see how that could be
0: uh on a on a uh, on a new bike uh, bike maybe and a yeah. GP21 yeah exactly
2: yeah that's cuz that's the thing that the, the satellite guys Bastinini, um uh, De Gian Antonio and then the the Sky bikes I mean they're going to be GP21s this year's yeah. bike like and that is a pretty good bike, so they they're going to be on the, the this year's best bike in the grid. So
1: well, so the biggest uh, the biggest manufacturer, you know, motorcycle manufacturer in the world, probably the most powerful team, and the uh, the brand that used to have the most bikes on the grid, Honda. Uh, you know, and Yamaha. You know, they uh, have riders that are injured. You know, have large question marks over their head, and then obviously a motorcycle that's not terribly easy to race. So it's uh, it's it's looking very Ducati kind of
2: tinged, isn't it, actually already looking rosy yeah yeah i mean if you had to put money on next year's champion now uh, which would be a remarkably foolish thing to do you would say it's pecker all the way but so much can change obviously yeah no don't reasons. take
1: any tips from the paddock past podcast you probably you know if you don't put any mortgages on anything please guys we don't want that on our conscience um let's you move could on probably,
0: you could probably put a, a a mortgage on a monopoly house and uh, that would be about it <laughs> There's some let's talk
1: about VR46. Uh it was his last Grand Prix. Um you know we did paddock pass podcast note shows throughout the weekend and at various points I think we were quite jaded by the whole experience so Valentino himself must have been quite fed up of himself by uh, the end of the Grand Prix. Um but you know when it push came to shove uh not only did he race very well but you know it was actually quite a um, a heartwarming and appropriate send off for a MotoGP legend, wasn't it, Dave?
0: Yeah, I mean, he he, he did race exceptionally well. Um, unfortunately, exceptionally well is just in a good enough for tenth. But even then, uh, I can't remember. I've just done the the spreadsheet. I haven't got it in front of me, but he was either ten or fifteen seconds faster than he than he was last year uh, at the same race. So he did make a big step. Um, and it, I mean, he. Uh, on Friday, I sort of accused him of, of sort of taking it, uh, you know, sort of phoning it in. But uh, he probably phoning it in just because it was wet uh, and there was no point in taking any risk because he was absolutely all in in qualifying. He was all in in the race. Um, he got, absolutely everything out of it he was being followed by morbidelli and now morbidelli never going to actually sort of stuff it up there just for the <laughs> sake of it but um he did say that it was uh, he did think about uh, trying to overtake and then realized no it's not going to happen i'm just not going to be able to do it
1: um i mean he's contributed very little to the the championship story this year um but then you look at what he actually kind of achieved in that last race 42 years old Valencia is not a track he has a particularly good record at
0: yeah there's so many I mean he's crashed there he's lost a championship there he's lost two championships yeah, started there from the back of the grid yeah yeah it, it, exactly he's had sort of special liveries which he's managed to uh, I think there was one which he managed to almost throw into the grandstands um, <laughs> so bad so no it's not a happy uh, I think he he has actually won at Valencia twice. At, Twice, we're, we're 2002, 2003? Three and four. Oh, three and four, well, there you go. I mean, that is... 20 years. Some time ago. Oh, it's not 20 years, Adam. You're you know, being almost 18. Rounding up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, there was, there was a wave of Valentino kind of um mania wasn't there uh, everything from you know his sporting idols ronaldo turning up to all the fans um his friends family uh, the celebration the cool down lap scene all the riders waiting for him the vr46 guys wearing the dedicated helmets
0: that was the nicest thing i really liked that i, I really liked them all uh, and also the fact that they kept it secret from him like he didn't know he didn't actually know they were mm. going to turn up um, with the with, each with their own helmets
1: yeah, I mean, I've i kind of spun on my opinion a little bit because on Saturday I was dismayed to see him and his team celebrating entry to Q2 like they'd won a race. I thought, you know, how far do you fall, you know, after having achieved so much and um not only taking motorcycle racing into the mainstream but really set the bar within the sport itself it was uh it was it was kind of sad for me to see um and you know coupled with the fact that we had murals on four-story buildings as well as uh yellow reminders of his career all around us it all just seemed a bit much but um it was was good to hear uh, his his media debrief afterwards um you know he said After Portimao and basically another very tough race for the Petronas team, he sat down and said, you know, fuck, you know, we have to do something for Valencia. And it sounds like they worked their asses off in the space of a few days to try and get him competitive.
2: I think the fact there was so much going on that weekend um, made his ride all the more impressive because how difficult must it have been for him to focus on the job at hand when he had press conferences to attend, photo shoots, all this stuff, you know, all the TV coverage, looking at achievements and every second shot would seem to focus on Max Biagi, Valentino's ex-rival, or Valentino's crew chief from 2001, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, So yeah, for him to still have the kind of uh, doggedness and bloody mindedness to, to keep his focus for that. Uh, final race for Sunday, um, I thought was quite impressive, and I just thought you know what he was saying afterwards showed it showed that that fire was still burning within because it hasn't always been evident this year. Um, it's obviously been a, a terrible year, but you know he's forty two, and um, he said that you uh, remember your final race for a long, 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 long time, and he just couldn't really face the thought of going out with a, a bit of a whimper, um, and uh, yeah. I think he had a nice line, which is something along the lines of uh, I can say that in my final race, even when I was that old, uh, I was still among the best 10 riders in the world, which, you know, for a 42 year old is, uh, is something you would doff your hat to.
1: Don't go anywhere. We're going to continue talking about Valentino Rossi right after this.
2: Renthal
0: Fat Bars are synonymous with off-road world champions. The Renthal Street Fat Bar draws from decades of experience to create the ultimate 28mm handlebar in a range of street-specific bends. Whether you're looking to alter the height, width, rise, or sweep of your handlebar, Renthal Street Handlebars offer a bend to suit your requirements. Use the WorksFit Handlebar Comparison Tool at renthal.com to find the perfect bend.
1: Welcome back to the Para Pass podcast. Uh, just before we talk and close the subject of Valentino Rossi, we thought you'd like to hear a few words from the man himself when he spoke to us after the race uh, quite some time after the race on Sunday.
3: The, uh, the first thing that I regret is that he's finish. And uh, I I I think that this uh, this um, at this weekend like the last weekend of the season, not the last weekend of my career. So I think that uh, Will be more difficult in the future, in the next uh, weeks, in the next month, and especially in March when they, they restart, and uh, and uh, I, w- I will be not there. Uh, what else? I don't know. Um, for sure, I want to try to win the ten championship, but uh, I cannot regret about my result and about the nine championship. I think that um, um, if I if I if I put the the effort. Of the, last, uh, of the last 10 years, also, in the first years, I can win also more than what I win. But I think it's normal that uh, when you are more young, you are more, more addicted. Uh, and uh, is, uh, I think it's normal. This is something that uh, you learn uh, just with the experience. But about f- apart from this, uh, I'm very happy. And uh, today was, uh, was a great final.
1: So Valentino, they're speaking to us. Guys, um, he's gone from the track but you know is it fair to say that Rossi is not going anywhere is he I mean MotoGP is still going to be quite yellow next year let's be honest uh his own team is going to be there so you'd imagine for at least the first few rounds of the series especially the big ones like Jaref the first European races, the first race in Italy uh he's still going to be very much in the paddock and swallowing a lot of media time and fan attention
0: I I will be interested to see how many races he actually turns up to because I think that's going to be a big thing because I would sort of think he might have to stay away just for the um, f- for the wound to heal if you know what I mean to to to, b- to make that sort of separation but he's still going to be a big factor the VR46 is going to be there we were supposed to hear about the Saudi Aramco VR46 team this weekend but surprisingly we still haven't heard anything about sponsorship which is uh, a little bit concerning but he's going to be there no worries you know, you know he's still the biggest, one of the biggest names in all of sports so he's always going to be able to raise sponsorship um, uh, yeah it, I mean it's still going to be very very it's still going to be the Rossi uh, the Rossi sport I think we're still going to see a lot of people turning up in yellow and 46 hats and all the rest of it and you're going to see the, the same way you still see people turning up in Schwantz t-shirts and Schwantz hats um, and Barry Sheen I mean you know Barry Sheen retired uh, retired a long time ago and died some time ago and yet you still see people in, in Barry Sheen regalia so we're going to see uh, Rossi, Rossi hats and yellow for a long time
1: Neil uh, what, what do you think could be his role in the team do you actually see him Working with younger riders, doing more stuff with the VR forty six, or is he just going to be some totem? They wheel out to uh, you know pictures on the grid, and you know get an interview with him now and again.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, just what his role is going to be, because I think a lot of his a lot of his time is going to be taken up by um his other uh, racing pursuits, which will be GT cars, from what we're led to believe. Um, he's already been testing, I think, for Ferrari um, ahead of next year. Or no ahead of uh, there's a race I think in December actually, and then he'll be doing something uh, a bit more full time next year. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's a, an interesting question. Um, he's obviously divvied out a lot of the roles to um, his colleagues or his friends. Um, I think he'll still be training with the the academy lads, giving them advice. But um, just what he does exactly over a race weekend. I mean, he's the he's the head. Um, but I don't think he's got to do any direct management on affairs. He's the figurehead, I think, rather than the actual
0: sort of management head.
1: I, um, I really would not be surprised if we saw him racing again next year as a replacement. I mean, also, if you look at the track record bikes. on bikes, because... No, he, no. Yeah, hang on a sec. Let me make my point. If you look at the riders who have retired, Danny Pedrosa, Jorge Lorenzo was itching for another wildcard ride when he was Yamaha's official test rider. <laughs> Cal Crutchlow's had to step in. I know they're in official testing roles, but, you know, when there's a gap, especially in his own team, you know, if someone has an injury or whatever, then what better rider to step in, at least from a, a, a marketing and PR point of view? Yeah, okay, he's 42 years old, he might, he might want to put on another two kilos and... And like completely chill, but he's going to be riding at the ranch, he's going to be racing cars he's still going to be...
0: He's going to, exactly, he's going to be racing cars. First of all his, um, <clears throat> he won't be on a Ducati um, there will be contractual, lots and lots of contractual things to stop him from riding a Ducati secondly, he's going to be racing cars so his focus is on that. He's still going to be riding r- lots and lots of bikes, but he's not going to get on a bike where he, he knows he's not going to be competitive um, <clears throat> one of the things stopping other riders from coming back. I mean, we saw it with Andre Dovizioso. who really desperately wanted to get back into the championship. He turned down a whole bunch of rides because he wanted to have something that he felt would be competitive. So he only took this sort of 2019 Yamaha because he knew he was going to get a 2022 Yamaha next year. And he tried and ignored the Aprilia. Yeah exactly yes yes yeah exactly so i i think this is the last time we've seen him on a, on a MotoGP bike also just because of the the preparation it ta- it, it takes he's st- he's going to need still need a certain amount of pre- preparation to race cars but it's not at the same like physically intense level that he needs to race motorcycles
1: if i risk incurring your disgust for a moment dave if we look at formula 1 um you know you have a lewis hamilton figure you know kind of similar in status to rossi in terms of his reach outside the sport when he stops you know, as MotoGP, like it is now, going to need some sort of documentary series or some sort of form to, you know, make these kind of young collection of characters... Um, Who have been largely in Rossi's shadow. And let's be honest, I mean, even if you want to take metrics of social media, I think Rossi's one account in Twitter or Instagram is bigger Mm -hmm. than most of the Mm -hmm. GPRIs combined. So, you know, is is
0: MonoGP going to need to shift in some
1: ways to try and get popularity? Well, this
0: this is what happened the first time we threatened to retire. Um, uh, We had the 800s and uh, we saw Valentino Rossi go to Ducati and the racing was terrible and uh, Rossi was unsuccessful and interest waned and uh, also combined with the financial crisis of 2008 that was a, that was another big big hit for there for the series that made a difference that forced Dorna to turn everything around in a way the valentine rossi's legacy is the fact that at one day at one point he would retire and so MotoGP had to be turned into a, uh, a an attractive product um, that allowed uh, Carmela espoleta to push through uh, a lot of technical changes with help from the back i know like i talked to mike webb over the years and he was sort of he had lots of ideas and i've seen lots of those ideas sort of come through spec electronics the switch to michelin tires with the brief to make the race uh, racing exciting give everyone a choice of tires so that they, they can actually uh, they can actually compete all of these changes have been made to make make the racing closer make it more exciting because it's tended to it's spectacular. It's turned into a proper, proper spectacle. So we will miss Valentino Rossi the person because he's so much bigger than the sport. But it's still yeah. a great sport.
2: It is still a great sport. Um, but I think a lot rests on the recovery of um, Mark Marquez this winter because without Mark, I mean, could the sport really handle the loss of, of Rossi, Petrucci, and Mark? I think it can easily
0: uh, handle the loss of Mark because Mark wins too much.
2: Yes, true. Uh, it, Maybe and, before. And, and, and,
0: yeah, but I mean, he he wins too much. Um, he doesn't have the charisma of nobody has the charisma of Valentino Rossi. Um, uh, uh, I think he wins too much. I think there are, there are other riders. The, the greater variety of riders is much more attractive than having just one person winning all the time. Unless they are like Valentino Rossi, they uh, um, they exceed the sport. Mark Marquez is the the best motorcycle racer who's probably who's ever existed i never saw a young freddie spencer um uh, i think marcus is uh, is better he's certainly better than rossi because he's beaten him so many times he's better than he was probably better than stoner even though they never raced against each other i think that marks mentally uh, would have crushed um uh, casey stoner would have found a way to beat him um and just the things that he does are, are not normal it's just just not normal. But he, uh, and he's a lovely, charming, uh, entertaining bloke. He is lively, he is uh, attractive, but he doesn't have that. The, the 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 same spark and to see someone come in and dominate and um, that can turn fans off i think
1: well, i think you know liberty media with formula one have taken a sport that was very much of an older demographic and it made it appeal to a younger demographic by embracing social media um, various internet channels whatever else and you know valentino rossi is you know he helped mother gp like you said dave in that transition from the technical regulation changes but also the end of the tobacco money era yeah um he kind of saved the sport a little bit in terms of commercial awareness um, uh, you know, now you have to think, uh, you know, they now is the time where you think you have to group MotoGP collectively uh, as this cast of characters, especially, uh, you know, with such big question marks over Mark, and then, you know, try to sell the products on a whole pretty much like they've done with Formula One and this drive to survive
2: concepts. Personality, it's
0: about personality.
2: And I agree with you to the extent that Mark isn't, um, you know, the same chariz- charismatic level as, as Rossi and a lot of people Genuinely dislike Mark. I think a consequence of 2015. Jealousy. A consequence of 2015, I think, really, um, and the fact that he kind of played up to his kind of evil genius uh, <laughs> uh, kind of role in the paddock. You know, as recently as 2019, when he was uh, when he was at his most dominant. Um, but in terms of someone who can um, articulate himself on big matters, important matters that go beyond outside the sport. I don't think there's anyone in the class now with maybe the exception of Jack Miller um, that can articulate something very well. You know, like if someone's asked about a particular uh, societal concern, um, then you can bank on Mark giving a thoughtful, intelligent, well-addressed answer, whereas the current guys that have... uh, have been winning this year uh, I don't think are at that level um, yeah. so yeah I mean
0: Pekka Banya is too young and also too focused on racing uh, Shuan Mir could I think uh, Shuan Mir is a very very intelligent genuinely very intelligent and thoughtful young man who is aware of that there is something outside of the walls of motorcycle racing uh, that, that that's a part of it but yeah I mean personality Pekka Banya is like your classic uh, young MotoGP
1: athlete I mean he's a good looking guy obviously earning good money I mean he, he wants to be in
0: esports he's
1: got a girlfriend Champion. dad he's got a girlfriend <laughs> so don't get your hopes up oh. wow well, what can i say oh, mind you that picture of him and valentino on twitter day it was, he's, very he's, uh,
0: <laughs> he was very romantic it was very
1: romantic you know he's uh, you know he's uh, he likes esports he likes racing uh, it's an easy lifestyle he's, he's very much in the motor gp bubble i mean we're not saying that valentino Rossi was an advocate for many kind of uh, you know other concerns like neil says in society but you know i i I just wonder whether MotoGP will get its next figurehead from. But a question for you, because you brought up that the part about Mark, people see him as an evil genius. Do you think if he suddenly jumped to a Yamaha or he jumped to a Ducati, then people, there would be like a newfound level respect for him, maybe the way that Jorge Lorenzo did, by moving from the comfort zone of being on a Yamaha and getting on the Desmosedici.
2: No, I think uh, coming back from this recent injury, if he can come back from this and win, I think even his, his biggest detractors would have to doff their hat. Um because of just what he's been through, it would be a kind of a, a sort of, a you know, a level of respect. You, even if it was begrudging that, that maybe, you know, make the indication in of how good he is. <clears throat> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But I think, I mean uh because I remember reading about Mark Marquez uh, a criticism of Mark Marquez in like two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve in Moto two about he was only winning because you know, you know, the, the Dorna was were were changing the rules for him in his entourage and, yeah. and everything was helping him because he is sort of within that Catalan um bubble which includes certain certain people within Dorna and so he's seen as as uh, a, a beneficiary of favoritism. And I think um you know his injury has been perhaps one of the best things to happen for his image because you've immediately seen just in what shape Honda are uh, without him. You know, I mean, he's Honda are in a mess. Let's um, talk about the Hondas then, because
1: uh, we saw, in my opinion, I think the most spectacular crash <laughs> footage of the season, maybe of recent season, of Paulo Spargo's high side. I mean, the rear-facing camera, Joe's. If you ever want a more visual demonstration of the forces involved in not only MotoGP, but when it goes wrong, then find that clip somewhere on YouTube or or Twitter or whatever, because it was ghastly. Horrific. Yes. And, you know, it was very little surprise that, uh, it was a surprise that Paul turned up to the circular again on Saturday evening um, probably somewhat under the influence of um, hospital medication yeah, but It's alright, but, right, right, right. I could <laughs>
0: ride, I could ride and he's completely out, off his face on all sorts of painkillers.
1: <laughs> and if he did contemplate trying to ride then fair play to him but you know he didn't and Dave you know the Honda's, uh, the reps Repsol Honda team weren't present on the grid for the first time in a long time
0: 1992, so the first time in 1992 when Mick Doohan suffered the injury which would almost cost him his leg and Wayne Gardner, I think, was still injured from Suzuka. He'd just come back the previous race, uh, crashed in practice and was just in too bad a way. So there was no – it wasn't Repsol Honda back then. That I think it was Rothman's Honda. Um, but it was the first time that there wasn't a single um, uh, factory Honda Honda on the grid uh, since then. So that, that's that been a long time. Uh, and then you get Takanakagami um, – the runner-up in the World Warm-Up Championships which I worked out this weekend they'll be uh, explained why, well, why is
1: Takanakami the, um, the runner-up in the World Warm-Up championship? right
0: but, uh, so the one session of the weekend where there is zero pressure Is warm up so I went through all of the warm up sessions this year and totted up, get awarded you know the same sort of championship points you would get for winning a race for for being fastest. And Fabio Quattararo was fastest. He was fastest in in a lot of the the warm up sessions. Uh, Takaaki Nakagami was second. Um, uh, He was fastest in a bunch of sessions. I didn't actually tally up exactly how many. uh, I need to do that, but um, he outscored his. Uh, race points by 143 points i think off the top of my head so th- that's how much better he was in the warm-up um than he was in races and in races he just he just he cannot handle the pressure we'll, we'll get
1: back to tack maybe a little bit later Dave, because i know you reserved a special place for him in this particular <laughs> podcast but neil um you know the honda situation was dire wasn't it um i mean hrc are often seen as this uh looming omnipresent force quite cold um but you know, the truth of the matter is they had more work wheeling Valentino's old race bikes this weekend than they did working on their 2021 MotoGP bikes. 13th play for Alex Marquez. Uh, the season ended in a way they probably could never have imagined.
2: Yeah, just as they were kind of getting a foothold again back in the class after a horrible, horrible first half of the year. Um, you know, 1-2 finish in Misano. A feeling that after the Misano test, um, just before Cota, they had found something with this new chassis that helped them all go in the right direction also the promise of the the fact that there's going to be a completely new bike for next year marquez was winning again all of that has just been has been completely lost obviously with mark's injury which is very very serious and there's no time frame for his return um they're now heading to the the horeth test with paulis probably present but in a not a a decent way or a shape to to actually test, you would imagine. It seems as though he might have broken some ribs in that crash. Um, very, very, very uh, ginger uh, was he when he made his way back to the paddock, on, surprisingly on Saturday. Um, and then you're putting your, you know, Stefan Bradl's a very capable test rider, but um, that's not really an ideal situation, is it? Without your figurehead, Marquez, without um, the second rider in that sort of hierarchy, anywhere near functioning fit, um yeah there's there's not going to be that sort of uh input to the direction of this new bike that they had previously hoped
1: is it um a situation where honda could amplify their testing program or is it just bad circumstances where they're going to be largely underprepared going to Sepang next year
2: or to the first test um i mean it, it all depends on on mark's recovery really you know if, if mark is back in and, and fit for sepang then You know, the situation is entirely retrievable. But the longer he's out, the more worrying the situation is
0: i think it's going to be uh, i think it is really bad news because getting an engine right and it is it's a completely new engine i mean it's still going to be a 90 degree v4 they're not that they won't change that layout they might change the 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 the, the firing interval a little bit um uh, but you can see from the pictures of the bike the, the the engine mount points are different that means that the engine is different in in, in significant ways um uh, the air intake the area uh, is different that also means that it's uh the, that it's different in significant ways exhausts are different the power delivery is going to be very very different and it takes a long time to get an engine right if you look at the way um aprilia changed their engine and they lost a season or yeah they pretty much lost a season you can see how good the bike is now. You know, it's been on the podium. It's deserved to be on the uh, on the podium this year. Uh, so they've made a big step with that, but it was the second year. You look at the Yamaha. They changed their engine significantly as well between 19 and 20. And in 20, it worked sometimes and it was terrible at other times. Uh, and it took them... Uh, Another year, although they didn't actually change the engine, but they could change all the other bits and pieces around the engine to make it uh, uh, make it much more flexible and make it, you know, give it a wider operating uh, window. Um, And the thing is, once you get to the Sepang tests, uh, you don't have the time to significantly change it, to make big changes you can only make the smallest possible changes to actually because you've got to go through literally just time you've lit, if you change engine internals you've then got to uh, subject it to all of the um uh, endurance testing durability testing all the rest of it to make sure that it just stays in one piece uh, so yeah it's it's a big big risk losing losing mark here and especially losing pole after losing mark is is massive it's all going to come down to alex marcus and taka, taka nakagami
1: there's only so much we can deduce from tests of course especially looking on the outside as a, as you know the media but um we'll try and do a special podcast um towards the end of the win- this coming week uh when the guys have done their first look or experimentation with the setup for 2022 in jerez but we'll close this uh, edition of the show you know with our winners and losers of course um neil first of all who was uh, you know the rider that emerged from valencia with uh, your win
2: my winner ad would it would be easy to say Pacquiao getting his fourth uh, victory of the year in this shape in this form it does look quite unbeatable. But I have to say Jorge Martin finished second, got on the pole, led uh, the majority of the race, um, and did so despite being um, Soiling violent. His leathers. Yeah, in his leathers and being violently sick uh, throughout um, throughout Saturday night into Sunday morning. I think from ten pm to five am, he said that he was basically uh, on the. The great big telephone to to God, um, so impressive stuff. Um, yeah, won the w- rookie of the year um, uh, title as well, um, and uh, you know I think it crowns what's been a genuinely very very promising season.
0: Dave, who was your winner from Valencia? I think my winner from Valencia is Gigi Deligne. Um He still hasn't won the Riders Championship, but by God, that bike is good. Um, he designed that motorcycle uh he was bought to Ducati to win a championship he still hasn't quite managed that but he won the manufacturers championship he's won uh the the, the the team's title um he gets the first ever uh podium lockout for Ducati he gets two front row lockouts for Ducati. He has Pekka Bagnaia who's looking phenomenal. Um he has uh, you know Jack Miller's looking outstanding. Jorge Martin coming in uh looking like a like a winner. I mean it just um this was the proof of why Ducati went out and hired him back in at the end of 2012. For my winner I'm going to
1: pick Aki Ayo. Uh, You know, from not only the Moto three World Championship, but of course we know he's he's had the Moto two World Championship locked up for some time. But with Fernandez's victory, I think that's what eight plus five. I mean, that's thirteen Grand Prix wins from eighteen. I mean, you cannot really get much of a better record than that. And and you know, and, by, and, by by Acosta
0: as well. Remember, uh, yeah, <laughs> this Moto three as well.
1: Yes, but you know, by. That statement, somebody like Augusto Fernandez, I think, sitting on the po- in the press conference podium yesterday, must have been looking across, thinking, "I'm walking straight into that uh, next year." So, and we spoke with Aki quickly, um, you know, after the race yesterday, and I'd I love his philosophy on management now. I mean, it reminds me uh, for for any kind of football fans listening to the podcast uh, of a Brian Clough. I mean, I think it was Clough that said something like. Uh, um, you know, football is a simple game complicated by idiots. And Aki just seems that, uh, you know, he, he, racing is simple. You make everything ready for the rider and then you leave the rest up to him. That was basically his uh, his base philosophy uh, and approaching it. And, um, you know, whatever the guy seems to, He has a, a set way of working. And in the case of Remy Gardner, he said, you know, he had to change Gardner's um, perspective on things a little bit. Uh, but it obviously works. I mean people that tune into his program reap the reap the success that you know it that the potential is there to bring.
2: I would say he's the big loser of the day ad because he actually uh, got quite emotional, got a bit um caught up after uh, one of your pressing uh, questions when we cornered him uh, after the model two success. so uh, yeah. Aki actually showed emotion for, I think, the first time that I've, uh, I've ever seen. Check, Next, out the, n- check out the toxic masculinity on Neil there. There's
0: <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with showing your emotions, Neil. Next question, I think Bo- is what Bottle he said. it
2: up. This is a masculine environment. <laughs> you have to be masculine, all right? No, I that, would was, say, uh, that was my, my loser
1: was MotoGP for the reasons we mentioned earlier. Um, you know, we've, Valentino Rossi is going to leave a hole. Uh, for how long, we don't know. It could be months. It could be a couple of years. Uh, you know, and then also people like Danilo Petrucci and we're going to play out from the podcast actually with some of the words that Danilo spoke to us in the media debrief so you can see exactly what kind of character we're talking about. So, um, you know, MotoGP, there's a hell of a lot going for it. It was another fantastic championship this year, but then, you know, there are elements that were lost uh, in Valencia yesterday.
0: Dave? Uh, um, yeah, also, uh, F1. I mean, you know, we all know I am quite famous for my dislike of all things four-wheeled. Um, uh, but F1, have been doing an absolutely phenomenal job in making that uh, in making their sport popular by introducing popular, uh, you know, personality. And I think that's going to be really important there. Uh, my big loser. Well, we've mentioned him before, Takahaki Nakagami, for crumbling under pressure. whenever there is pressure on him, we saw it um, last year most famously um uh after qualifying on pole and then chucking it away in uh, th- what was Aragon. it uh, yeah uh, what, what corner was it five six corners i can't remember it 20 seconds into the yeah, race Yeah, exactly it wasn't it wasn't very long uh again he seemed to be having quite a good race he had a decent start and then he just crashes out he can't hold it together and that's the the worst thing he is talented but he just cannot hold it together
2: and my loser would have to be uh, Aki Ayo for showing a bit of a... Mo- no, uh, <laughs> would be uh, Takeo Yokoyama for, um, well, the reasons we previously discussed, HRC's uh, technical guy, um, and the fact that he's basically going to Horeth with... Um, with a, a far from ideal setup, um, where well, you might have the best
1: new motorcycle, but potentially nobody to save is any good or not.
2: Exactly, yeah. Um, with he'll be he'll be going into the into the Christmas break with um, I guess a, a lingering sense of, of doubt as to exactly which direction um, they should be heading in. I could be wrong, um, but I think you know situation far from ideal for Honda. <laughs>
1: well this has been a good chatting with you guys actually face to face instead of through a computer screen uh, it's the best way to do the Paddock Pass podcast of course um, thanks to our sponsors Rental and their street catalogue and of course Fly Racing don't forget to go and look on their website because they've got loads of street stuff not just famous for their off-road gear uh, we'll be back later in the week not only with a follow-up show but also a quick round-up from the test Neil I think you're also on broadcasting duties uh, so you'll be watching closely in Hereth. so we'll be counting on your expertise as usual uh, in the meantime thanks go ever on, so much much. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks ever so much for listening and uh, we'll play out with the um, the emotional and uh, well, the missed words we can say for next year of Danny Petrucci. In late uh,
4: 2011, someone told me, you are going to race in MotoGP next year. So my friends asked to me ah, did, do you ever imagine to, to race in MotoGP? And I answered yes, because it was always a, a dream of mine. But then you know, uh, uh, it's uh, one thing is uh, talking about the sea and one other thing is crossing the sea. And uh, yeah, since when I started this, uh, this adventure in 2012, I started in, I don't remember if I was lost, but uh, for sure the first race I was lost and I broke also the bike. And uh, all that year, till uh, 2014, for many races, I have been last in practice, last in qualifying and uh, last in the race and and i think i was the only one still believing and uh i i never <laughs> never quit and uh one day the 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 dream has come true and it was really 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 nice because uh, uh may, maybe is uh, one uh, i am one of the last people that even uh, uh a normal people can make it uh, without uh, without be a uh, you know um, uh, let's say a phenomenon. Uh, I uh, something uh, ultra natural. When I was young, I was just a good rider. Yeah, I was fast, but there was there were people faster than me. But I never stopped believing that I was the best. And uh, for two time in the race, I I I showed to to the people that I was uh, the best at least. Uh, in that circuit, in that place, in that day, for uh, for two times, it was a big relief because uh, if there was just uh, just Mugello, maybe it was a uh, uh, one day hero. But uh, then I showed to myself in Le Mans that uh, I can I can still win races.
0: This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler. David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by the Liberty.
2: All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com.
1: Hello to our American friends. I'm afraid it's me hosting again, so uh, apologies and I hope the audio is okay, we were recording outside to hear some nice bird noises, some windy rustles um, and the sound of a neighbour shagging.